0: so good to be able to be here today. Logan, thank you for the privilege and the honor and being part of this day. We're looking in the book of Isaiah today. Now, I could spend a lot of my time talking about me, telling you who I am, my kids. We probably have several friends that are mutual acquaintances and those kind of things. But you know what? I don't think you showed up here today to learn about me. I think you came today because of Jesus. Amen. So how about we just talk about him for a little bit today, and all that other stuff will take care of itself in the long run when everything is all said and done. What a great day it is. Let me tell you a story. A polar bear papa and a polar bear son, baby son, were sitting out on an ice floe. The father papa bear was there, and he was just doing his polar bear thing. All of a sudden, the little baby polar bear, he looks up at his dad, and he says, dad, Am I 100% polar bear? The daddy polar bear looks down at him and says, Well, son, yeah, no doubt in my mind, you're 100% polar bear. And, and the baby, are, are you sure, dad? How do you know that I'm 100% polar bear? And he said, Well, son, you're, I'm 100% polar bear. My, my parents were. Your mom is 100% polar bear. Her parents were. Son, there's no doubt in my mind, you are 100% polar bear. Why are you asking? Little uh, baby polar bear sitting out on that ice floe looks up at his dad and says, Dad, I'm freezing out here. Somewhere along the line, he had learned the lesson that polar bears didn't mind the cold. He had learned that polar bears braved the cold. They thrived in the cold. And yet somehow in the midst of his little baby polar bear experience, it was freezing out there. And sometimes I ask that, not of the temperature, but of my faith. Because somewhere I've learned the lesson that Christians are supposed to have this great, wonderful, amen, holy, birds singing, harps playing kind of experience 24-7, right? I mean, Scripture verses are always upon my lips. And folks, can I just be transparent with you? Sometimes there are things on my lips that aren't found in Holy Scripture. Am I, am I really this person of faith I think I am? Or, oh man, on, the, on some days it even gets to the point, is my faith really in who I think it is? This whole thing about trusting Jesus, this whole kingdom of God, this whole experience, sometimes I read about what it's supposed to be, and yet my day-by-day existence sometimes feels like it falls short. Come to this great Christmas time celebration. God, I get it. But it's something wrong that shouldn't be wrong. In the midst of that, Isaiah speaks to us. What a great book it is. I mean, it's a book that speaks specifically to a group of Jewish people. A group of people that were living in varied times and difficult times. Isaiah is written over the span of many years, and, and at times his prophecy speaks to those who are looking ahead to the troubling times. Sometimes it speaks to the people who find themselves right in the midst of the troubling times, and then there are words that speak to the people afterwards the troubling times. Those troubling times were all about the politics of the day. I mean, it was written some, about some 2,500 years ago. I mean, it was a long time. And there were all kinds of things going on with, with uh, the northern kingdom Israel, the southern kingdom Judah, things with Assyria and things with Jordan. All, all those kind of things were, were part of the mix of this grand thing that was going on as different countries and nations were trying to find their position and in the midst of it, Israel was having trouble. Israel was not being the people that God wanted them to be. Israel was, well, they were failing. They were worshiping other, other gods. They were, they were involved in things that God's chosen people should not have. You spend much time around Jewish people, and you'll find out that there is a sense of chosenness about them. And yet for these people who lived back in the 6th, 7th century before Christ, well, their lives were not there, and God had finally said, it is enough. God had said, there will be trouble come upon you. You will be taken out of the land that I have given you. And in the midst of that, and that, that really is so much of chapter 8. But then in chapter 9, we get this wonderful verse. There's a great verse that your pastor has led to help you kind of unpack throughout this wonderful Christmas season. You know, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, you know what it says. It talks about the fact that unto us a child is born, a son will be given to us. And the government is going to rest upon his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Prince of Peace, the eternal, everlasting Father. Wow. What a a Christmas message that is, right? What a celebration we have because of that. And as we come, these words are written to people who realize the bad day is getting ready to come. And God's judgment's upon them. He makes that clear. The terrible things that are going to happen to them as a nation. And yet in the midst of it, he brings hope. He brings a word that says... That there is a child coming. And that child is going to be greater than any of the governments around you. It is going to rise, he's going to rise above the politics of the day. And he will be called this wonderful counselor. This mighty God. This everlasting father. Wait, the child will become the father? Wow, we get theological with that really quick, don't we? Today, let's just focus on one little bit of that. Let's listen to what those early Jews heard and see if it doesn't apply to our life today because I think maybe some of us here today are experiencing the cold. You know what I mean? I think some of us today might be experiencing a little bit of this testing of our faith. Some of us might be experiencing the freezing of this day-by-day world we live in. He is our mighty God. Amen? Mighty God. When uh, uh, Logan asked me to share a little bit about that, I kind of went to some different places and thought about some different ways that we could talk about that. There are so many excellent ways to understand just those two simple words and the profound impact they have upon our life. And I was drawn to another passage in Isaiah One that has a significance for for my family and our lives. We have time. I'll be able to share a little bit of the story with you. But the bottom line is this passage just comes to us. It's written in Isaiah chapter 41. If you have your Bibles with you on your phone or iPad, or maybe you've got it memorized because it's it's a pretty well-known verse that we're going to be kind of focusing on, Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41 is written to a people who are in the midst of trouble. Their day is bad. They have been taken into exile. Jerusalem is in ruins. The temple's been destroyed. The wall is in shambles around. It's been burned. The best of the best have been taken off into captivity, and they are abiding now in a foreign land, under a foreign government. No longer masters of their own ship. They are at the mercy of someone else. It's a bad day. They are in exile. And in the midst of that, God lets them know that, that, you know, they really don't have anybody to blame but themselves. He he lets them know that, that, that this is part of what they experience. But in the midst, he gives this wonderful word of hope, a word of hope that talks to the other nations and then talks to them. It's a tradition of mine I'm not sure if it is here or not, but would you, would you uh, just indulge the old guy a chance to experience his own tradition? Would you stand with me as we go ahead and read from God's holy word? Isaiah chapter 41, we're going to begin in verse 5, and again, imagine living in the midst of exile, in the midst of the worst of the worst of days, and hearing these words. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth, they tremble. They have drawn near and have come. Each one helps his neighbor and says to his brother, Be strong. The craftsman, he encourages the smelter. He who smooths metal with the hammer encourages him who beats it with the anvil, saying of the soldering, It is good. He fastens it with nails so that it does not. You, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, you whom I've taken from the ends of the earth and called from its remotest parts and said to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Thank you. You may be seated. Powerful passage. I don't know if you picked up on it or not, but uh, Isaiah... For a guy who lived 2,500 years ago, is speaking rather sarcastically in the first part of our passage. I mean, you know, it's it's the best they got for a sense of humor. Okay. He's there and he's saying, the folks who going to come from all the coastlands, everybody's going to hear about it. And you know what? The people are going to be worried. They're going to be afraid because something's happening with Israel. The Messiah is coming and things are going to get better for Israel. Everybody else is afraid. But you know what? People are going to be okay because you know what? They're going to encourage one another. They're going to build their idols. The guy who smooths out the metal is going to work. The one who kind of welds and solders it together is going to work. But you know what? When all is said and done, they're going to be really secure because they're actually going to use nails to nail it to the podium to make sure it doesn't fall over. That's the God you want to trust in, right? That's what's going to bring you peace. That's what's going No, no, no. Isaiah says, listen, all of that is foolishness. But you are the chosen of God, and he has not abandoned you. He has not let you go. He has not in any way set out and said that you are no longer his. Now, Dave, tell me. I mean, there's a passage written a long time ago. What possible word does it have for us today? Can I tell you just a little bit of the basic theological idea here? You are God's chosen child. He knows you. He knew you before the world even started. And he said, I want you as mine. Lots of questions about that, how that works out, and a lot of really smart people are arguing, or not arguing, they're discussing the differences in that, and that's not the discussion here for today. But the bottom line is God knows, and he knows you. He knew you, and he knew who you would be, and in the midst of all of that, he said, you're mine. The book of Ephesians tells us that he predestined us as adoption for his sons. He doesn't want you as a slave. He has chosen you as child. John chapter 1 tells us that as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. take hope, friend. It might be cold. You might be feeling the shiver of an unfaithful wind. But you know what? You're still God's child, and nothing has changed that. He is still the mighty God who works in your life. So let's just take a moment and just kind of unpack this a little bit and find out a little bit more about what this Isaiah 41 passage might have to say to us. Just a little bit more that I think is going to speak to your heart today, possibly, in the midst of this beautiful season we experience. Maybe in the midst of it you need to hear just some words of affirmation and encouragement. In Isaiah 41.10, he's going to tell us a couple of things about ourselves. He's going to tell us a couple of things about God, and then he's going to tell us three things that God does. Friend, I want you to know that you are God's chosen children, and because of that, you have no reason to fear or worry. Say amen to that right now. Yeah. You know that those are two of the favorite weapons that our enemy wields against us, if he can just get us to somehow fear or worry, if he can get that wrestled into our hearts and stamp it upon our lives, he has won the victory. Those things that would come close to us. And yet Isaiah says, don't fear. Don't look anxiously about you. Something about the promise of God, something about this path of faith, something about being his child says that we don't have those things nestled up against our lives. There were plenty, plenty for those captives to worry about. Plenty for them, to uh, those people in exile, fear of violence, fear of livelihood, worry about what the day would hold for them and for future generations. They had all kinds of things that were going on. In the midst of that, God says, don't fear. And I think the very fact that he says that to us tells us that maybe we are fearful. Am I, am I speaking the truth there? the fact that he says don't look anxiously about you, well, the fact that he says it kind of insinuates that's what we do. Like a caged animal, we look back and forth. People of faith trusting the Lord show up on Sunday mornings. Don't look anxiously about you because you know what? Sometimes we do. You, you might have it in your, uh, uh, maybe your trunk or in the back seat of the car, but when the weather gets hot, you know, you park your car out in the parking lot, and you don't want the sun to heat up your car more than it absolutely has to. So you have one of those little silver windshield-type things that you, you put up there. You put the visor down and hold it. Do you know what I'm talking about there? You know, one of those little things you unfold and crinkle, put it up there, and keeps the sun from coming in while the car is parked. I was... Uh, I bought a new one undoing, am and there's a little, you know, wrapper inside of it. And I just happened to glance at it. And down at the bottom was a line that said, caution, do not operate vehicle with window visor in place. And I thought, okay, thank you. And then it hit me. That was there, not because somebody thought it would be just a, well, let's just go ahead and write that down. That was there because somebody had tried to operate the vehicle with that visor in place. God says, don't fear. He says, don't look anxiously about you because that describes who we are. Left to ourselves, we are a fearful people. And maybe that's grappling with your heart this day. Certainly our culture says that. Our culture is one that instills with us fear because this world has changed and continues to change and change every day. Maybe, I'm not sure if you feel this way, but it seems like this world makes it very hard to be a true, faithful follower of Jesus Christ. If you're going to be involved in anything in culture, if you're going to be involved in anything in, uh, in, in the world out there, watch anything on TV, be involved in any kind of community things, all of a sudden their rules and laws tend to kind of inflict upon us. It's kind of scary. But maybe it's not on the outside. Maybe it's something dealing with your inside that you're worrying about. Grief of a loss or There's something secret going on inside. You're afraid if somebody's going to find out, boy, your life is over with. Worried maybe about finances or job. Some of you are getting ready maybe to have a conversation with a doctor that you really don't want to have. There's plenty to worry about. Plenty to be fearful about. But God says don't. What would it be like? to wake up in the morning and not have that worry hanging onto your back. What would it be like to step out the door and not be afraid of what's waiting on you? Isaiah 41.10 offers some kind of hope because 41.10 talks about a mighty God and there's something about Him that says fear and worry don't have to be part of our lives. They don't have to guide us. They don't have to influence us because because we serve a mighty God. It tells us who we are, fearful, worrisome, but it tells us who God is. This mighty God, children of the mighty God. It tells us, first of all, he is here. He's with us. Do not fear, for I am with you. Being alone is a significant thing for us. Being alone is something that uh, can destroy us something that can deny us and we live our lives far too alone we have so many ways to talk to each other don't we and we have ways electronic and digital ways with mail ways with phones and even face and yet how many times do we not know what's going on we live in confusion But God says, Don't worry. Don't fear. I am with you. And then He says, You don't have to be be anxious for anything. Don't have to look about wondering like a caged animal because I am your God. Listen to that. Grab hold of that. Whatever experience we have, we are children of the mighty God. Don't fear. I am with you. You're not alone, friend. Can you just breathe that in for a moment? Don't look about anxiously because I am your God. Wow. What that must have meant to those early people of the exile, what those words must have been encouraging as they sat in that foreign land, I am your God and I am here. It's okay. I know it's cold but I'm here with you. He's the mighty God, the great God. He's the God of more. He is greater than any lie that a humanistic worldview might put upon you. He is greater than their finances or resources. He is greater than any disease or affliction. He is greater than any grief or sorrow or pain. He is greater than any guilt or failure. He is greater than any sin, friend. He is Almighty God. Amen. Don't fear. I'm with you. Anxiously about you. I am your God. You have hope, friend. The second thing he's going, or the third thing he's going to tell us, and this is where it gets just the water meets the wheel, at least for me. We are children of a mighty God, and he's a God who is at It's not just simply, oh yeah, there's God, that's great, wonderful, go on and do your own thing. He didn't just set everything up and then sit back and see how it's going to work out. He is a God that is involved. He is a God that just doesn't say, oh, well, bless your heart. He's a God that says, I will make it better. He's a God that will do something. You are not left on your own, friend. You're not left to try and figure it out. You're not left to try and manipulate it or somehow get it better. He is the God that is at work in your life today. He says, I will strengthen you. What's been your weakest moment? What's been your time when, man, you just can't take another step I was a college student, I was home on vacation. It was during the winter break. I was working for a company called Manpower. It was kind of a uh, just kind of uh, rent a kid for a little bit and you got to do all the warehouse jobs nobody else wanted to do. Okay, it, it worked for me. Except this one Saturday, I got called in. Early on a Saturday morning, went to a cold warehouse And they had a they had did something with metal parts or something some kind maybe automobile parts or something and there were big old boxes of all these metal parts here and they needed to be moved over there I don't know the details of it I just knew this box goes over there and so I started along with several other guys we were picking up these boxes and I tell you what as the day went on those boxes started off weighing about 20 or 30 pounds by the end of the, the end of my time there they were probably 80 or 90 pounds it felt like you know what I'm talking about Finally, I picked up a box and I turned and I took a step cold, tired, exhausted. And for the first time in my life, literally, I could not take another step. I was done. I was spent. The tank was empty. The box found its way to the floor rather noisily, I might add, and I just kind of sat down. Have you ever experienced a moment of utter weakness where you just can't take another step. God comes alongside and says, I am your mighty God. I will strengthen you. Will you admit your weakness? I will help you. Wow. You know, we suffer from what I call the I-do-its. It's kind of what that child does when you're a you know, little baby toddler sitting in a high chair, you're trying to feed them, and all of a sudden they say, no, I do it. You know how that goes, right? Or better yet, this is, I have a, my youngest grandson. His name is Will. Will's about five years old, and uh, Will loves the mechanical construction building kind of stuff. He and I get along great. Uh, one day he comes out in the yard and I'm working on the pool filter system it's kind of electrical stuff going on I got a table out there all kinds of tools out there wires going everywhere and Will just looks at that and man this is great this is amazing grandpa can I help and I said, well, Will, man, there's just a lot going on here. There's electricity, live wires and things, and I'm trying to find my own way on things. You know, I'd, I'd love for you to help. You can watch, but I really don't think you can help. You just don't know how to do it. And Will looks up at me and says, well, I will when I'm finished. I can work with that kid, you know? It's one thing when you're talking to your grandfather. But I want you to know it's completely another when you're talking to the mighty God. Your mighty God. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't. He helps you in every single sense of the word. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will lift you with my righteous right. Hand. My wife uh, uh, worked in occupational therapy. She worked in a few different hospitals, ended up on a brain injury unit, and I uh, was just, uh, just, just enjoyed that so much. I'd visit her every once in a while uh, for lunch or, or uh, different things that, that we'd be able to do. And, and one time I saw her walking with a patient. The patient had suffered some kind of a stroke or something like that, and they needed a little bit of exercise. And so she's walking beside him. Now, my wife, my wife's not diminutive, but she is hardly a giant, okay? And the person she was walking was a lot taller, a lot bigger than she was, and yet she was there to try and make sure he didn't fall, and then I noticed it. The guy had, it was kind of a canvas, almost a seatbelt-looking-like thing, a little canvas belt that went around, just kind of tied in the back. My wife had her hand on that belt. I asked her about it, and she said, it's called a gate belt. You'd be amazed how little it takes to keep a person upright when you've got a firm hold on that belt. They're not going to go anywhere. I've got them. And I thought, man, what a picture. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God, my knees are getting ready to buckle. God, I don't know if I can take another step. God, this is just too much. God, The mighty God hears our cry. The mighty God is with us. And the mighty God says, hey, don't worry. I've got you, and I'm not letting go. I will lift you with my righteous right hand. Today, friend. Today. It's kind of cold out there, isn't it? Aren't you tired of the wind and the shiver? Aren't you tired of the worry and the stress and the grief? Maybe today, in the quiet of this moment, it's time to experience the mighty God. And isn't that what church is for us? I love the identity of this congregation. A refuge. Because it's tough out there. But how good it is to gather together with God's people. And I use this phrase a lot just to breathe. You know what I'm talking about? And maybe today is that day. Because you see, the amazing thing about this story is that that passage that talks about the mighty God the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, wonderful counselor, talks about a Messiah. A Messiah who has come in the midst of our troubles. And while for those people in Isaiah's day, it was prophecy, for us it is prophecy fulfilled. For 2,000 years ago, the story began. The human chapter of the story began. A baby was born, miraculous circumstance, and the angel said, he will be your deliverer, your savior, Christ the Lord. You see, we're living in the midst of failure, in the midst of sin, separated from the God who loves us, separated from his love and his power, from his peace. And so, because we couldn't do anything about it, he sent his son, who not only was born, but he lived. And he died. And in the midst of that experience, that horrific experience on the cross, something wonderful and spiritual happened that I in no way can understand, but I gloriously accept and believe He paid the price for my sin. He removed the barrier. He took away the obstacle. And now I can experience the mighty God. Now I don't have to fear. Now I don't have to look anxiously about him because I am the child receiving Christ. I am his child. And he strengthens me. He helps me. He upholds me with his righteous right hand. I wonder today how this mighty God is going to interact with your life. I think there's some here today, yeah, it's just kind of a cold day. Maybe it's just a little bit, you know, it's just the ordinary everyday ongoing stuff. Maybe it's something big. Maybe your life has experienced one of those hiccups, one of those detours, one of those horrible moments, and you can relate to the Israelites experiencing the worst day of their lives. And maybe today, you just need to breathe. Not going to solve anything. I mean, not going to walk out of here with, yeah, I know the answer to everything now but you're just going to know you walk out of here and you are not alone. Amen? Amen. The mighty God is with you. So can I just be a little bit pastoral right now? I'd like to pray for you. With these lights the way they are, I can't really see too much of the congregation, but I think I can see a hand raised. If you'd want to join with me in this pastoral prayer, just somebody who verbally is expressing that you are not alone, would you just raise your hand right now? Pray for me. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for my friends here today. Lord, those who raise their hands, and Lord, maybe some who, just it wasn't time right now, but they know their heart. Lord, I just stand with them and ask for your spirit to move right now. For your words to be ingrained not only on ears, but on hearts. Remind them, in the midst of the breath they breathe, they are not alone. You are with them. They don't have to worry. Because when the day is done, you are their God. Father, I pray that over these next days, you're going to work, they're going to be able to see it. And Father, somehow, I just open a window of grace in their lives. And Father, I pray you strengthen them in the midst of their weakness. I pray, Lord, you help them in the midst of their confusion. And Lord, I pray that you uphold them in the midst of their feeble lives. Bind them together, Lord. Let them know they're loved. Take them to the places you want them to go. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen.